Good morning. Welcome to the Tuesday morning men's Bible study at Park City's Presbyterian Church. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you have found your way to this online study, you clearly know that we're not actually at Park City's Presbyterian Church. Even though we can't meet together in person during this season of coronavirus, we wanted to make every effort to get our Bible study out to you. And so if you're watching this, one of the ways that we want to encourage you to do that is to follow along with the handout that's there on the website. You'll notice that there's going to be some reflection questions there for you to do personally, or we even encourage you to meet virtually with your table group. You can do that through Zoom or FaceTime or some other way. Uh, we know many groups have already been doing this and would encourage you, if you have not done that yet, to try to organize your table so that you could watch this video and then be able to study the Word together. If you missed last week, uh, Matt offered the very first of our video series. Uh, we're still going through the book of Hebrews just like we did when we started earlier in the spring. Last week, Matt talked about Joseph. This week, we're talking about Moses. We'll start in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we'll be in various chapters in the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, I invite you now to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll begin reading in verse 23. The author of Hebrews writes, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he had endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea, as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us technology so that though uh, we cannot be together in person on a morning like this, we can be together. Uh, we can be together spiritually connected through your Holy Spirit, and we can be connected through the gift of your word. So we pray, God, that you would use your word now to stir in our hearts, encourage us this morning, so many of us experiencing fear and uncertainty of what the future holds. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a greater fear of you, and that that fear would replace the fears of this world, and that you would increase our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Up until a few years ago, if you would have asked me that question, I would have told you nothing. I'm not really afraid of anything. At least that's what I thought. 
At least that's what I was willing to admit. I went on a silent retreat through our church and was on that silent retreat that that actually is not true. That though I want people to believe that I'm not afraid of anything, and especially when you think about us as men, we hate to admit our fear. That was so true of me. I did not want to admit my fear. But what I found in the silent retreat is the truth is, I am afraid. Maybe a better question to ask ourselves as men is, not what are you afraid of? Like monsters or ghosts or spiders or snakes. But maybe a better question is this. What do you worry about? What gives you anxiety? What are those things at night that maybe keep you up? Those things that kind of you hold close to your heart that give you stress. What are those things that fully occupy your, your mind, your heart, and your very soul? Those things that you just stew over, that fill you with uncertainty. And you ask a question like that. What is it that you're really afraid of? The truth is, men, women, boys, girls, all of us have fear. We have fear because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's broken, a world where there is actually uncertainty, a world where we are frail and feeble, and perhaps now, more than ever, our fears are being exposed. For some of you, perhaps, before the coronavirus hit, and you heard it being talked about, you didn't have any fear whatsoever of it. No fear of what might happen to your body. No fear of how it might affect us as a nation. But as we've seen everything turn upside down these past few weeks, our fears are being exposed. Yes, our fear of what might happen to us physically, but also our fear and uncertainty about what is happening to us economically, what is happening to us socially, what is happening to us even inside the church. For us as a church, we have not met together now for several weeks, and we feel this unease about that. Even with our Bible study, not being able to meet together, that, that fills us with uncertainty. We are being disrupted, everything about life as we know it. This is true of you. It's been true of me. As Matt shared with you last week that he had been diagnosed with the coronavirus, I too have been diagnosed with the coronavirus. I'm well now. In fact, when I finally got my positive test results, I was fully recovered. By God's grace, it has affected me in very easy ways. I would describe it like a, a five-day flu. I didn't have shortness of breath, no cough, but that has not been true. For many people I know who've also contracted the virus, maybe even this morning, this is true of you. Perhaps you now have a fever. You now have a cough. Maybe there's tightness in your chest. Maybe now you are uncertain about your own health that fills us with fear. 
This fear also is not just for us, but as men, we have families. Many of us have roommates. We have coworkers. We have friends. We have neighbors. We're not just afraid for ourselves, but we're afraid for the people around us, the people that we know and love. So what are you afraid of? What are you fearful about? What gives you anxiety? What fills you with worry? What I want us to see this morning is that our fear actually reveals something about our faith. It doesn't just reveal that perhaps our faith is small, which is certainly true of me. I know it's true of you, and that's been exposed for us. But it also actually is revealed in what we place our faith in. That typically, our fears reveal what we place our faith in, what we place our hope in, what we place our trust in. So if we have this kind of faith or trust in our own health, we're going to be afraid about that. If we place our faith or trust in the economy or provision or making sure that we're able to be a provider, our job or occupation, how we're seen by others, if our faith is in those things, then we're also going to be afraid about those things. You see, there is a deep connection between our fear and our faith. And we're going to see that that is true in the life of Moses. What's interesting about the book of Hebrews, particularly Hebrews 11, is that as the author moves through the different uh, figures in the hall of faith, what we see is he typically spends one verse on each Old Testament figure. Except for Abraham, who we looked at earlier, and Moses. In fact, the author of Hebrews dedicates five different by-faith clauses. In other words, for the other Old Testament figures, it would say things like, well, by faith, by faith, by faith, over and over and over again. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. But now that we get to Moses, he dedicates five different by faiths. The first is there in verse 23. And so what I want to do with you this morning is I want to look at these five different by faith sections that the author dedicates to Moses. It shouldn't surprise us that he dedicates this much time to Moses because Moses was such an important figure for the people of Israel. But also because part of what the author of Hebrews is doing with this letter is to help these Old Testament Christians, these Jews who had grown to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but now we're facing uncertainty and we're facing fear in their own time and space. That as they faced these things, they were questioning their faith and they thought maybe they should go back to Judaism. Maybe they should go back to Moses. So part of what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's spending so much time with Moses to show us how Jesus is better. How by faith, this is what Moses did in order to point us to a greater hope and a greater trust and a greater faith in Jesus Christ. So five different ways the faith of Moses teaches us about our fear and about our faith. The first is this. By faith, 
We do not fear a fallen world. I want you to look with me at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, if you know the story of Moses, you know that his story is amazing right from the very beginning. Moses grew up at a time when the people of Israel were enslaved by Pharaoh and by Egypt. They were treated ruthlessly. Not only were they enslaved, but they were ordered to build things and to make things for Pharaoh. They were oppressed to the point of even an edict, an edict being sent out by the king, Pharaoh himself, that every firstborn Hebrew son had to die. You see, the people of Egypt were becoming threatened by the people of Israel. You would say, well, how could that be? How would a bunch of people who would be enslaved become a threat? Well, because they were growing in such number, and they had such strength that Pharaoh could even see it. And so he wanted the firstborn sons to die. But what we're told in the book of Exodus is that the Hebrew midwives refused to follow the order. And this is what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. This was true even from Moses. Moses' parents were told, Hebrews eleven twenty three that they were not afraid of the king's edict. This is what we see in the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus, chapter 1, verse 15. It's there in your handout. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. They were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid, even though they would have every reason to have fear. The way they were being treated, the way they were being oppressed, even beaten. Now the way that they were being commanded to kill the firstborn son. I mean, what if Pharaoh would do all those things, then... What would happen to them if they didn't obey him? And yet, we're told that they did not have fear. They did not fear the king's edict. Why? We're told in Exodus 1, verse 17. But the midwives feared God. We'll look at this more in just a little bit. But what we see is they had a greater fear. They did not fear the fallen world that they lived in because they feared God more. We'll talk more about what it means to fear the Lord, but it's everything for us if we're going to understand the deep connection between faith and fear. For now, what I want you to understand is if you feel like you live in a fallen world, if you feel like there's reason to be afraid about the world around you for whatever reason, even coronavirus aside, Maybe for you, some of that fear and anxiety has to do with your work already, about issues that are going on between a boss and employee. Perhaps for you, it's your boss. For others of you, maybe it's an employee that you shouldn't have hired. 
For others of you, maybe you have fear around your families or around the lack of a family that you so long to have. Whatever those fears, whatever those anxieties, whatever those worries, it's because you live in a fallen world. The people of Israel, they felt this too. Whatever fallenness you've experienced in our world, they felt it all the more. To be enslaved at that level is something that you and I have never truly known. To be oppressed at that level is something that you and I have never truly known. Yes, perhaps some of you have experienced being hated for reasons that are inexplicable to us as human beings. Perhaps even because of your background or what zip code you live in or maybe even the color of your skin. We experience this fallenness. We experience the hatred of others. And the people of Israel experience this hatred too. To be hated because of their nationality. To be oppressed because they were Israelites. Enslaved in a foreign country. This was their reality every single day. And yet, they did not fear this fallen world. This was true for them. And it was true for Moses' parents. If you know the story of Moses, you know that when he was born in an effort to protect him, being the firstborn son, they placed him into a basket. And they put the basket into the Nile River. As Moses, as a small little child, a little baby, is floating in the river, then one of Pharaoh's servants and Daughters seize this child and they find him and they protect him and they raise him as part of Pharaoh's court. Not only does Moses live, but through God's providence, through God's provision, Moses is now raised as one of Pharaoh's own children. You see, we do not fear a fallen world because what we will see is we fear a greater God, a God who is sovereign, a God who is provider, a God who orchestrates everything. And as we've seen in our study through the book of Hebrews, he even uses broken people. He even uses a fallen world to do amazing things for his glory and even our good. Whatever you're afraid of now, I want you to begin to see that perhaps God is at work in ways that you do not expect. That even now, God in his goodness and his mercy and his sovereignty is at working even through the things that you're most afraid of. By faith, we do not fear this fallen world. But second, second we see that by faith, we choose the things of God even if it means hardship for ourselves. And we see this in the life of Moses. So the author of Hebrews continues, not just Moses' birth and him being protected and guarded, but what it meant for Moses as a young man. We see this in three ways. Moses, in choosing the things of God, had to refuse the things of this world. We see this in verse 24, Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By choosing to be associated with the things of God and the people of God, Moses refused to be called a prince of Egypt. So again, Moses being saved in the River Nile, raised in Pharaoh's household, now as a young man, is aware that he is an Israelite, a Hebrew, being raised in the household of Pharaoh. He feels this disconnect and dissonance between who he is in his bones as a Hebrew and who he is as he's been raised. And now he, as a young man grown up, is faced with a choice. Who does he identify himself with? Is he going to be a Hebrew? Is he going to be identify himself with the people of Israel, people who are oppressed and hated? Or is he going to identify with the people in power? Is he going to take advantage of the way that he's been raised as an Egyptian? What we see is Moses makes the hard choice. Rather than choosing to associate himself with the people in power, Moses decides to identify himself with the lowly, to identify himself with his own people, the people of Israel, and to refuse to be identified as a prince of Egypt. One commentator put it this way. He said, Moses said yes to his identity as an Israelite, as a son of Abraham and follower of Yahweh, and deliberately said no to his status as a prince of Egypt, a son of Pharaoh's daughter, and a servant to the gods of Nile. I want you to put yourself in Moses' shoes. I know it's difficult, but I want you to imagine. Imagine your life the way it is now. And imagine perhaps a life that you maybe wish you had. Imagine you've been given that life that you wish you had. And yet you choose instead to have a much lower status. That's what Moses just did. He refused all the trappings of being raised in Pharaoh's court in order to say yes to being identified with the things of God. And you say, well, how can he do that? Well, by faith. As Presbyterians, and not all of you are Presbyterian, and some of you just learned for the first time, maybe, that this is a Presbyterian church, and I get that. But as Presbyterians, sometimes we don't like to talk about choosing. We are so high on God's sovereignty that we don't think about choice. But even though God is sovereign, it doesn't mean that you and I don't make choices every day. And we know that that's true by experience. The question is, what is guiding the choices that you make? Are the choices that you make each and every day, are they guided by your own desires and what you want for yourself, or are they being guided by something deeper? The choices that you make, is, are they guided by faith? For Moses, what the author of Hebrews is pointing out is that he chose the things of God, even if that meant a lower status, because he had faith. But not only did he refuse to be associated with uh, the 
Pharaoh of Egypt, he refused the fleeting pleasures of sin that would be associated with Pharaoh's court. To grow up in Pharaoh's court with all of the concubines and prostitutes and trappings of life that many of which would have been incredibly sinful. Moses refused to be associated with this. Again, look at Hebrews 11, verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses chose to be identified with the people of God, even being mistreated with the people of God, instead of choose the fleeting pleasures of sin. Again, the only way he can make this choice is by faith. But not only did Moses refuse to be associated with Pharaoh, not only did he refuse the fleeting pleasures of sin, but we're told this in verse 26. Moses refused the treasures of Egypt. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, the author of Hebrews is connecting the dots of the Old Testament to the New Testament, noting that Moses, even in the Old Testament, had a vision of the promise of the Messiah, that Christ was coming. And so he, we're told Moses, verse 26, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That Moses, knowing what was to come, trusting himself to something greater, a greater promise of these kings that were promised and God's promise even to Abraham. This king, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one who was promised. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater than all the wealth of Egypt. What is your treasure? What is your treasure? What do you want most in life? What is the thing that you hold so dear? What is it that makes you feel wealthy? Yes, for almost all of us, that is typically things like money and resources and comforts. But sometimes the things that make us feel wealthy are even in addition to those things. We feel wealthy by how people think of us. Or how we think others think of us. We feel wealthy by being in a, in a beautiful home or by being successful. And yes, of course, we feel wealthy by actual money and resources. Every one of us feels wealthy some way. The question is, do you feel wealthy in Christ? Are you willing to choose the wealth that is found in Jesus the treasures that are found even in the reproach of Christ, to see those as greater than the wealth that this world has to offer. What is it that you treasure? Moses, by faith, chose what was low because he saw what was high. And in God, as his provider, as his sustainer, and even as his savior, Second, by faith we choose the things of God. Third, third, by faith we see him who is invisible. So again, first, we do not fear this follow the world. Second, we choose the things of God. Third, by faith we see him who is invisible. I want you to look at verse 27. 
We're told by faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So again, the author of Hebrews is walking us through the chronology of Moses' life, from birth to growing up as a young man, leaving Pharaoh's court, to now being on the run. Being on the run, not afraid of the king and his anger for leaving his household, not afraid even of what Moses had done when he killed an Egyptian, but instead keeping a flock with his father-in-law Jethro, keeping a flock when an angel of the Lord appeared to him. You see this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Let me read it for you. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look. God. Once again, we see this connection between fearing the things of this world and the fear of the Lord. Author of Hebrews tells us that Moses was not afraid of the anger of the king. That even though Moses left Pharaoh's household, even though Moses took the life of an Egyptian who was mistreating a fellow Hebrew, he was not afraid of Pharaoh's anger. Why? Because he was developing a greater and more powerful fear. Not a fear of Pharaoh, but a fear of the Lord. Here Moses is, no longer in Pharaoh's court, tending a flock of sheep in the middle of the desert with his father-in-law Jethro. And God comes to him. God who is invisible, who we cannot see, who Moses had, had never seen, God came to Moses, and Moses saw him. He saw him in the form of a burning bush. As Moses looked at this bush, and it was burning, but yet not consumed, Moses was troubled, perplexed, and then out of this burning bush, God speaks. Do not come near. Take off your feet. The place on which you are standing is holy ground. In other words, what God is saying to Moses is have reverence. Have awe. Do not be in awe of Pharaoh. Do not be in awe of what's going on around you in this world, but be in awe of me. And so Moses recognizing that this burning bush was not just a bush, 
And it wasn't any kind of fire, but it was a holy fire. God himself coming to speak to him. When Moses realized this, we're told, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses was growing a greater fear. Not a fear of this world, not a fear of the anger of Pharaoh, but a fear of God, a holy reverence, a holy awe that God had come in power. That which was invisible, Moses could now see tangibly right there in his midst. Have you ever seen the face of God? No, you probably haven't seen him, literally. But I have no doubt that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have real faith given to you by the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that you have seen the evidence of God in your life, when is the last time you saw God at work in your life? When we're afraid of the world around us, we lose sight of the God in front of us. Perhaps Moses may at one point have been afraid of the anger of the king, but that anger was now dwindling because it was being replaced with a greater fear that he could see the God of the universe come in the form of a burning bush that Moses could see. Where have you seen God at work in your life? If it's been a while, I want you to look back and remember what it was like to see God at work. If he's been at work in your life in the past, and you have every reason to believe that he will be at work in your life in the future, and that he is even at work right now, even if you're not able to see it. My prayer for you this morning is that by his Holy Spirit, he'd begin to give you the eyes of faith, that you would begin to see God at work, his redemptive power, consuming fire at work in your life. Fourth, the fourth by faith we see in Hebrews 11 from Moses, we see by faith we are able to trust God as our deliverer. We see this in Hebrews 11 verse 28, the fourth by faith, by faith Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Again, moving through Moses' life, now we're well through the plagues. Moses has been chosen as God's mouthpiece to lead his people out of slavery. Moses has come to Pharaoh and warned Pharaoh to let God's people go, and if not, he would send plagues, and now we're to the tenth and final plague. Now it's not the death of the firstborn, firstborn Hebrew, but it's the death of all firstborn in Egypt. This act of judgment of God, the death of the firstborn in Egypt, not only if those would slaughter a Passover lamb and sprinkle the blood over the doorpost, would death pass over. And so the people of Israel, getting these instructions, celebrated that first Passover, sacrificing spotless lamb, sprinkling the blood over the doorpost. We see this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. It says, This is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. On that night, when death came to Egypt, the people of God sprinkled blood over the door. They were entrusting themselves to God as their deliverer. They were entrusting themselves to God as their rescuer. Though they had not been released from slavery in Egypt, not yet, they were beginning to entrust themselves to deliverance that's only found in God, the greatest deliverance of all, the deliverance from death. By faith, we do not even fear death because God is our deliverer has offered a way for death to pass over us. For us, this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we no longer slaughter a lamb to celebrate the Passover. But Christ, our Passover lamb, was already slain for us. Christ, our Passover lamb, hung there on the cross, He bled for you and for me. And now his blood is covered over us, just like the blood sprinkled over the doorframe. The blood of Christ, for all those who trust in him, the blood of Christ now covers us. And death, death will pass over. Though every single one of us will die physically, all those who are in Jesus Christ, all those who trust in him by faith, trust in his death and resurrection for their salvation, all those who trust in Jesus as their Passover lamb will never die spiritually, but we will live forever in the presence of God in heaven. So there is nothing to fear, not in this fallen world, not in the reproach of man, not even in death itself. So finally, the last thing I want us to look at, by faith we walk in the fear of the Lord. All of this has been leading to this final moment, this final moment that the author of Hebrews chooses to point out in Moses' life as he led God's people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Hebrews 11, verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as in dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The book of Exodus, chapter 14, tells us what happened when Moses led his people through the Red Sea. I want you to turn in your Bible to Exodus 14, or you can look there on the handout. Exodus 14, verse 26. This is what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. 
The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Exodus 14, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Again, I want you to imagine what it must have been like that day. After all that they had been through, after all of the oppression and hardship and toil of slavery in Egypt, after the great plagues God sent in judgment, after the Passover, finally Pharaoh letting God's people leave Egypt. And as they are fleeing, suddenly recognizing and realizing that Pharaoh's army was not far behind, that maybe this finally would be the end for them, that even though it seemed like they were on their way to the promised land, that Pharaoh's army was not far behind. So Moses lifting up his staff, parting the waters of the Red Sea. What must it have been like for the people of Israel to walk through those parted waters? As the book of Exodus describes, so for water to be like a wall on their right and on their left. And then to turn around only to see Moses lift his staff again. The waters come crashing down. And all of Pharaoh's army killed. God had delivered them in power and in judgment. What must that have been like? Well, we're told how the people of Israel responded. Exodus 14, verse 31. This is what it says. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed the Lord, and in his servant Moses. As we end this morning, I want you to see the deep and powerful connection between fear and faith. The people of Israel had finally seen the great power of God, God's great saving power. Power of judgment sent to deliver his people. The same power of judgment that would one day fall on Jesus on the cross in order to deliver us. Have you seen this kind of power? The saving power of God. If you have, Book of Exodus tells us we should have two things. We should fear the Lord and we should believe in Him. There's a deep connection between faith and fear. To fear the Lord is to see His power. To see His power in judgment and His power in mercy. To fear the Lord is to be in awe of Him. Just like Moses was in awe of the burning bush to recognize he was standing on holy ground. To fear the Lord is to have a reverence, a holy recognition of God's grandeur and his glory. 
To fear the Lord is to tremble before him. To recognize that God is unlike any person or anything that this world has to throw at us. We do not fear this fallen world because we fear one who is greater. We fear the God who created this world and who sent his own son to die on a cross so that this fallen world might be fully healed. He's done it for you and he's done it for me. So my prayer for you this morning, brothers, is that by faith, you would have fear. All around uh, the internet, on social media, we've seen things that we should have faith and not fear during this coronavirus season. I think that what the author of Hebrews and what the book of Exodus wants us to see is that we should live by faith and by fear. We should live by faith and because we have faith, no, we don't fear a virus. And no, we don't fear an economy that's beginning to crumble. And no, we don't fear where provision will come from or if we'll be able to provide for our own families or ourselves. And no, we don't fear what people think of us or what others might do to us. No, we don't fear these things because we have a greater fear. May God, by His Spirit, give you this greater fear this morning. And today and the days to come, may he fill us with reverence and awe. May we recognize that in Christ, we are standing on holy ground. May he give you a deep and abiding awe, reverent fear for him. And by faith, by faith, may we walk in the fear of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, I pray for my brothers this morning. Pray that you would be with them. God, that all of our fears would, would cease. Not because we need to be strong men who aren't afraid of anything, but because you would give us a deeper and abiding fear of yourself. That in our fear of you and recognizing that you are sovereign, that you are mighty, and in all your power and might, just like you saved your people from oppression and slavery in Egypt, that you have saved us. That you came in judgment. And in that power, and in that wrath of judgment, you poured it out on your own son on the cross, that we would be rescued, that we would be delivered. And so, Lord, may we approach you in your throne room with fear, with reverence and awe. May we approach things in this life that fill us with worry and anxiety of fear. May we approach them with a greater fear for you and may trust you that we might walk by faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you uh, to meet now with the groups if you're able to by Zoom. And I also want to invite you to join us at Park City's Presbyterian Church for a time of prayer and fasting on Wednesday. We started this last week, and we're going to continue uh, meeting this way on Wednesdays by praying. You can go to our website, 
and click there on the home page and you'll see Day of Prayer. We'll follow uh, the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication, that we as God's people, even though we cannot be together physically, to be connected spiritually, unified together through corporate prayer, we want to dedicate tomorrow, Wednesday, to pray. Praying for our city, praying for our nation, praying for our world that God would use this virus to draw us to himself and that he would use it to glorify himself and draw many to Jesus Christ. He is the one that we fear. There's nothing to fear in this world. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.